Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left Portugal to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Jamal Brown. Uh, Coach Brown is a local player. Um, local high school player that played at North Charleston High School, had a great career there, and then went on, went on to coach at South Carolina State as an assistant, ended up being the head coaching, getting the head coaching job there as well. Um, we had a great conversation just about the hard work and things that it takes to get to the next level and uh, always being ready, always putting your best foot forward because you never know who's, who's watching you. Um, currently, he's at Norfolk uh, State, and they just had a great run. Actually played in the NCAA tournament this year. Um, had a great run in their regular season. Um, so great interview with him talking about that local hero, that local talent, and taking it elsewhere and is representing the Charleston area to the best visibility. Um, let's get into the interview hear more about it. Yeah, how you doing, man? I'm good. How you doing, bro? Doing well, doing well, man. Doing, doing really well. I'm glad we was able to finally get together. Yes, sir. They say you still look the same, man. I ain't seen you in years. <laughs> I appreciate that. Well, I don't always feel the same. That's all good. It's all good. It's all good. But yeah, man. Um, I ain't gonna take up too much of your time. I know you know you're busy. I appreciate you coming on. We yeah. um, we uh tried to uh you know, use this podcast to give uh, families and, you know, former student, I mean, potential student athletes, just the, the, the information they need to, to proceed. You know what I mean? And it's good to hear, get it from, you know, uh, former student athletes, turned coach, business people, always got a, you know, good wealth of knowledge to give the families in the community. So um, I appreciate you coming on, big guy. No, no problem at all, man. I, I appreciate you having me, to be honest. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we get started, man. Um, what we like to do with our guests is like maybe um, have them take take us back to where it all started. You know what I mean? Um, I can kind of relate. You know, being that you're from North Charleston, I could kind of call out call out these terminologies in the parks and other guests. I can't really do that because I don't know where they're from. So let's yeah. take it back to Park and Rec. You know, North Charleston Rec. Um, yeah. Take us back to those days and when it, you know where where it first started, man. Yeah, man. Well, you know, I started. Playing growing up, like you said, in the rec center, man. Played at Danny Jones um, down down Liberty Hill, and you know, learning early on how to be tough and how how to play hard, and playing against the older guys and getting beat up pretty often when I'm a young skinny dude. Right. And trying to figure my way, man. And um, from from North Charleston, from Danny Jones, I ended up going to North Charleston High School, and and playing. Three years there, I didn't play as a freshman. Why? I still don't know. I just didn't play ball. Uh, and, I, I, you know, I was just so interested in so many other things. 
right. I guess, outside of just playing basketball, just is everything, you know, school, books, baseball. I played all everything growing up. Right. So, um, you know, going to North Charleston and and playing there, man, and and you know, it's it's, it's a funny thing that in my whole time in North Charleston, man, one of the biggest things in my life, man, I never beat Burke. They own us, man. They own us every year. And, you know, it was games where we had the game. I remember I blew one of the games. I stepped on the end line, trying to throw the ball in. <laughs> just wild memories of uh of those rivalries and playing and and just trying to get through, but just growing up in, in, in Liberty Park and where I'm from and, and playing on Liberty Hill and Danny Jones coming down downtown to play in the park. You know, you just learn how to play hard and, and play tough and, and get through those moments, man, because it right. it's not always easy. Right. So, you know, and I guess we ought to talk about the support system. You know, um, were there, was it your, your, your father or was it a community leader? Like, who was, who was there to kind of help, you know, mold those intentions per se because you know yeah we as a kids we want to go out in the park and play but at some point we kind of latch into a certain interest on a certain influence yeah. um was there somebody that in your life to help you you know proceed with those your interests yeah well you know my, being i'm originally from uh, philadelphia i was born in philly uh i moved to south carolina at a young age so my father was still in Philadelphia. Gotcha. Uh, so we had a good relationship, a great relationship. Uh, he's passed now, but we had a great relationship. And and he was very influential from afar, but he was never an athletic guy. Gotcha. You know, my dad was a street dude who, who, who street dude that turned business guy. Right. You know, right. Learned, took a lot of the street aspects and started earn, earning his own businesses um, during that same process. So my biggest influence, to be honest, was my grandmother and my mother. Nice. And, and they kind of gave me the foundation. Uh, my grandmother laid the foundation of a faith into me and how I had to lean on my faith through all, all tough opportunities, all tough times. And my mother gave me a foundation of hard work, man. And nothing's going to be given to you. My mother had me at 17 years old. So you could imagine and think about yourself at 17. And I think about myself at 17. And, and I was raised like that hard sure. you know right you know it wasn't a whole lot of conversations when you didn't do what you were supposed to do right it wasn't a whole lot of uh rubbing on your back and tell you i love you it was hey man, right. get out and get it done and if you don't get it done there's a consequence and a repercussion you know i tell people this all the time i tell my players this here when i was probably about 10 years old i said my chores on the weekends was clean my room and clean the bathroom and for a long time i was the only child and I never forget cleaning the bathroom one day and uh, my mother came in to check it behind me and it wasn't done to her expectations. And, you know, back then we had to use Ajax. For sure. And <laughs> she took that Ajax and just threw it all over the bathroom, man. Yeah. And like, yo, do it again. And that one experience taught me to do things the right way the first time. Mm. And if mm. you can do it the right way the first time, you don't have to do it all over again. So those were the foundations. I had cousins who, who played high school sports that um that was very influential and just seeing them do well. I always say if you can see it, you can be it. And they they were really good and like football. But to be honest, man, I grew up in a neighborhood where there were a lot of kids my age. Mm. And we did things together. We played sure. every sport, 
every year. And they're still my best friends to this day. Right. You know, through life, through college, we've had families. But those guys are still my guys right now. But we grew up together. We grew up, like, scarring our knees together, fighting each other, right. loving each other, but learning how to play sports. Because we play every sport, every season. And we just kind of figured out. And then we had some community guys who who would take us to practice when our parents couldn't, the coaches. And that's how young people don't understand how influential coaches are. You know, we had coaches that would drive us, man, and drop every last one of us off mm. and pick us up for games. Now, some of that may be because we were some of the better players. And they needed <laughs> to win the games and they wanted to win too. For sure, for sure. It took the time of their lives to, to, to be influential in, in our development and helping us get to where we wanted to go as, as athletes. Right. And I want to second you about, you know, fathers are very important. I'm, I think I'm, I know I'm a great dad and fathers are important, but never take, you know, take, take away what your mother and grandmother, you know, has 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 supported in, in that same interest. And that's why the Day Foundation is called Dolores and Estelle, because mm. my mom and grandma. So, yeah, right. I, I totally feel you on that. And um, not taking away from the father's presence, but mothers and grandmothers and grandfathers are just as much as important, you know, with, with helping that support is, you know, moving you know, forward. My, my grandmother, man, she's uh, she's 88 years old. She's still here, thank God. Nice. And we, we still talk once a week. We still stay in touch. My grandmother and my mother have been my biggest supporters through my yes. life. And I'm with you. You know, I have three children. Um, I have two boys and a girl. And I try to be as present and as influential in their lives as possible. But I also know my wife and I, we have this discussion all the time about how close my son is to her sure. and how they just, their connection. I always heard that a mother gives a child their confidence. Exactly. And I can believe that because my mother gave me my confidence in life right. and it helped me, you know, grow up to be the man I think that I am today. That's, that's awesome. Uh, JB, moving into to the rec uh, era, um, they say you didn't play as a freshman. Um when you when you played in high school, like when did it hit to where you like, hey, look, I want to do this thing at the next level. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What, what were what were some things that that caused that that triggered those those thoughts? You know, man, like maybe my junior year of high school, I started getting that itch. I always knew I wanted to go to college. Right. You know, I always wanted different. I didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, you know, I'm I'm six eight now, but in high school, I think my ninth grade year, I was six two. 10th grade year, 6'4". Hold on, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me. You see, you 6'8 now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I grew 6'8". I grew two inches in college. God. So, oh, I, yeah, I like 6'5", 6'6", last time I really... And 6'6", wow. in high school. I was 6'6", in high school. Wow. So wow. I grew I grew two more inches in college. Wow. I grew two inches and gained 30 pounds. And um, so I was what they call a late bloomer, for, for sure. sure. For sure. And my game was a late blow. So, so I grew, um, you know, I, it was just a, a steady growth. Right. Uh, so by, by my junior year, I was like 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six in high school. And, and I started seeing things. But, you know, growing up in our time, there wasn't a lot of AAU basketball back right. then. Right. So there wasn't a lot of exposure back then. Um, you know, I know you're a little younger, but y'all had like the Midnight League started coming into play. For sure. For sure. I think that helped. You know, y'all guys started going to prep school. And so for us, before me, I had only seen like maybe one guy mm. out of high school go, and that was Andrew Odom, mm. who uh, Flex went to college. And I don't even right. know where he went. I think it was like a small, like a D2. Right. So, you know, it wasn't a lot of examples 
of guys getting out and going. So, so the vision wasn't really there, but I knew in my heart, I wanted to figure it out somehow, some way. And when we got Coach Wright uh, to be our high school coach mm-hmm. my junior year, who had played college ball, that kind of opened up some doors for me. Right. And I want to also make a little, little joke about what we thought about North Charleston basketball, because we, we, we didn't have no, nobody over 6'5 downtown. Y'all yeah. had all the hype. You're like, well, what are they drinking up there? You know what I mean? Like, it's five miles away. Why don't we have? But the thing about it, and now that it's starting to make sense, is that most of the people that's really, really tall in North Charleston, like you said, didn't even wasn't even born here. Yeah. So that was that was the caveat. We wouldn't know that most people that they they came to the area after after a while. Um. So you see, you're seeing you and you're starting to make things happen. What? How were your recruiting wars? Um, where did you go to college to play, and how how did that happen? Yeah, man, you know, I, my 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 route was unconventional, to be honest with you. You know, coming in high school, my senior year, I probably only averaged like 11, 12 points a game. So it wasn't like I was killing it. The Citadel started calling a little bit. College Charleston called once or twice, but it wasn't nothing consistent. Right. Um, so I had some JUCOs. To be honest with you, out in California was the main one that really would offer me a scholarship, Saracosta Community College. And my mom was like, you're not going to California. Mm -hmm. I mean, she was just like, you're not going. Right. You know, and um, so Coach Wright called South Carolina State. And they came down, they watched me play. And I I tell people this all the time. That was the worst game I ever played in my life, man. Mm -hmm. I had like four points. Fouled out like six minutes. It was the worst, man. We was playing St. Andrews High School. Mm. And I remember the coach got on, Coach Simmons, who was an assistant coach, got on the bus. And I was like, damn, man, tears on the bus. Like, I can't believe I just performed this way. I put so much pressure on myself sure. to play well that day. And, and I remember Coach Wright talked to me later. And he was like, man, he, he like you, man. He thinks you play hard. He thinks, mm. you know. I know you only played and you found out in six minutes, but he thought you played hard. Right. And this time my message, we got Coach Earl B. Then I believe that I had a chance to go to college somewhere. Wow. And I was fortunate that uh, the coach from Savannah State spoke at our athletic banquet. And, uh, and he told me that uh, he would give me the opportunity to walk on and I made it simply because I was an athlete right. and again that came up from the playground I could play football I could play basketball a uh, little bit of baseball but then in football I could throw I, I could kick I could catch right. uh, and then I had a little mean streak in me right. and um, and that's the only reason I made the team at Savannah State College in football Now let's get back to the interview. So they didn't offer me a scholarship. They offered me a preferred walk-on position. Mm. And they said, yo, man, if you want to come to school here, you know, you can uh you can walk on and you'll be on the team. And so I went. And in my first year, I earned a full scholarship. Wow. I mean, when I got there, they were like, you're going to be on scholarship. Right. So I go from being a preferred walk-on to starting um, some some games and being a full-time starter by my junior and senior year. So, yeah, my right my route was definitely unconventional and how I got to where I 
supposed to be in college. Well, but well, I to ask you a question. I ended up going to South Carolina State. For sure. And, um, and I played there. Went to the NCAA tournament in 1996. Uh, played against Kansas and got our heads beaten. Against <laughs> Kansas, I tell people all the time, you know, they start five. Well, four, they start five with all first round draft picks. Remember that. And, I mean, it was just a a wild game, man. But it was a great, great experience. Well, what were you? What were your train? What, what were your challenges in when transitioning from high school to college basketball? Like, tell tell the audience some of the challenges. You know, I want you to talk about it briefly, a challenge you talk about uh, academically as well as athletically. So, you know, coming in, coming into college academically, first of all, you know, you went from being um, somebody on the top of you, the teachers talking to you and, and telling you when you're missing the assignments to getting to college and being on your own, you know, that alarm clock, having to be consistent and disciplined to get yourself up and go to class every day. Um, I wasn't a great student but I was never an at-risk student. Right. I was the one that was going to get the job done. I was going to sure. figure it out. And, and I could have been a great student if I wanted to be, but I just, I, I didn't grow up in a home where academics were top priority. Right. So I didn't really learn what that, what that consisted of. For sure. But, but I knew that, hey, I went to college with the mindset that I'm going to get a degree. And because I went there with that mindset that I'm going to get a degree, Nobody had to tell me to go to class. Right. Um, but the challenges were I struggled my freshman year, man, especially in biology. I've never been a good biology student. Mm. And I, I failed biology my freshman year. Mm. And I think I left my freshman year right at a 2.0. So I barely was, was, was treading on water, but I made it through. For sure. And once I adjusted to just college life and study hall and time management, because if you don't have time management, you can't make you can it work. Right. Yeah, it's not going to work. You know, you got practice, you got film, you got weight room. I mean, you just you got your family life, your your yeah. friends life. It's, yeah, it's social life. You just got everything coming on you at one time. And you're sitting there like, you know, like any young person, I want to have fun before I want to have to work. Exactly. So sometimes you prioritize your fun over your work and it caught up with you at the end. And um, but the adjustment of I had my roommate actually failed out after one year, man. and I used to sit there and watch him like not do no work and I'm like man he was like an engineer major I was a business major and I'm like yo man you ain't got no homework tonight I got homework right you know (laughs) so it it allowed me to adjust in the classroom now on the court guys were bigger faster stronger and you know but what I always knew that if I work hard I'll eventually you know, break through. Sure. And I remember as we were in conditioning and I'm, I'm running, man, I'm trying to beat everybody and running. I'm running around this track. And one of the older guys said, man, all that running don't matter. It matters what you do on the court. Well, you better get on that court and do something. And I'm thinking I'm impressing the coaches by how hard I'm running on the court. But eventually that me being in, in, in the best shape of my life mm. allowed me to be able to be successful on the court because now I can go longer than you. Mm. So, you know, I always say, man, if you work hard and you have faith and you believe, eventually good things are going to happen to you. You just got to stay consistent with it. And that's the key, consistency and work. I do. I totally agree. Um, so let's say, you know, you're going through college and, of course, everybody wants to play at the next level, the NBA, overseas, what have you. Um, take us back to your senior year in college and um, you're thinking about playing the next level. You think about the afterlife. 
Yeah. Frame that for us on, on, on that on that on that mind state at that time your senior year in college and, and about to finish. Yeah, man, you know the, the, the best thing, and you know, you'll know this name. The best thing that have happened to me going to my senior was Kirk Collier. Oh um, man, that's listen, yeah. listen, that's, that's <laughs> as a whole, you know, right. He was the best thing that ever happened to me, man. And I I never forget Kirk was a was in position to get the job at South Carolina State as an assistant coach. And he had a meeting with Coach Sai. And Kurt told me this meeting. And he was my head coach. And his, his words were, man, don't worry about JB. He's going to play defense. He's going to rebound. That's all he's going to do. He ain't got to worry about his offense. And I think to this day, Kurt took that as a challenge. Mm. And he put time in the gym. He came and got me, man. So I'm going to make you a player. And every day that he wanted me in there, I showed up. Regardless of what he said, regardless of how he said it, his mom, this call, he was sitting there and watched the workouts all day. Mm. And Kurt took my game from one level to a whole nother level. He always tells me, man, you know, and you know, like I said, you know, Kurt, he has the ability to breathe life into you. Yes. And he would always say like, man, if I had you for four years, you'll be in the NBA mm. because I had to work at it. Right. I had to work at it. And I, and I had the intelligence to pick up on the things that he wanted you to pick up on and to try those things in game situations. So when I came back, Man, now I'm the dude that's a little bigger, a little mm. faster, a little stronger. Mm. And I have the experience uh, in knowing what the system entails. So my senior year, man, it was a great opportunity and great situation. We finished 22 and 8 in the league. Uh, I mean, 22 and 8 overall. We uh, went to the NCAA tournament. We played uh, Kansas in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And Arizona ended up losing. Um, but then, you know, the opportunity or the desire to play overseas was there. Right. And there were some small countries uh, like Colombia that was offering me some minimum contracts. But to my blessing, Coach, Coach Alexander came and offered me a full-time assistant job, mm. 22 mm. years old. Mm. And I'm, I'm dumbfounded, to be honest with you, when he came to me and offered me the job. And we had a conversation. He said, did you ever notice when we had recruits on campus, you were the one hosting them? When I had people speaking, you were the person I called. Mm. I watched everything that you did. I watched how you carried yourself. I watched how you spoke. Now you talk about the guy that was a preferred walk-on mm. that's came come through the system in four years. And now this guy's offered me a full-time assistant job mm. on a collegiate level. At this time, I'm the youngest assistant in the country. Wow. Full-time assistant. Wow. So I'm like, I thought about it and I thought about the long-term benefits over the short-term benefits of playing overseas. I'm like, okay, I can maybe go overseas, make a couple of dollars. I can invest in this long-term, have healthcare, mm. retirement plan. And I don't know why I'm thinking this way at this young sure. of an age, For sure. but I am. And I, I took that route. And I, But behind, behind the scenes, I said, if I get the right offer by the time I'm 25, I may consider it. Mm. But after that first year, I fell in love with coaching. For sure. And I didn't want to do anything else. I was like, hey, this is it. For sure. Uh, to piggyback on, on Kirk Coyer, a little story, man. I was dating a young lady, uh, Nicole Porter, up in, yep. um, and so I would I was there, staying up there, and I would work out with Kirk every morning in in the gym. And I don't know if you maybe had this 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 T thing that go in front of the rim that you had to shoot over, that he had to pull up. And man, yep. let me tell you, man, um, my my shot was so sharp. My mm. I was so in shape, like. The reason why I train right now is because I was learning so much from Kirk and I, I saw what he did to me and my confidence. 
I want to instill that to some players. Like he he pushes you. He's not he's not you know like a hard like you know tough lover. He's he he loves and he he supports yeah. and he shows you the right way. And not only that, he does he can do what he's telling you to do. He can. You know what hey, I'm saying? So that makes me day. like, oh man, if he can do it, then I gotta make sure I get it done. At 60 years old to this day, he can still do it. That's crazy. I don't know. I don't know if you still talk to him or not. I ain't talked to him in a minute, but I'm gonna reach out okay. to him. That's yeah, but we, we 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 was talking like at least once a month. Uh, kind of haven't talked as much lately, but I spoke to him last month, and to this day, man, still in great shape. I mean, he posted some workout stuff this morning on Instagram. Right. Well, he's, he's well. The lady that was representing us when I was uh, Raquel, well, he he the one that uh, Philippines. You know what I'm saying? When he went to the yeah. Philippines, that was it was kind of whole. Uh, that was my agent, and yeah, so I, I didn't talk to him since he kind of left and went to the Philippines and started a family, and he's doing great over there as well. Yeah, yeah, man, he, he's still really, really good at what he does. For sure. Really good, man. He's one of the best. Um, so going into your your, your, your collegiate, um, your coaching style, um, what are some things you learn? And I, well, what is something you learn from coaches? Because I see when I read your bio, man, Cy kept you in play, right? He's He's like always keeping you, he's like keeping you like uh, by his side, keeping you um, with him. And that's because we talk about that word consistency and he trusts you. He made sure like this person here is, is kind of helps me do what I need to do. Yeah. What, what's yeah. some things you learned from, from side per se that helps you, you know, as a coach right now? Yeah. Well, you know, the biggest thing that coach side gave me, you know, and I've worked for a couple of people now, and I try to take from each each one, but from Coach side, the biggest thing was communication and organization. Mm. You know, he had an ability to, especially when he was younger, to really communicate with the players and and get them to buy into what he was trying to get mm. us to do. Mm. You know, I, we played in a tournament in 1996, and I never forget he put in the game plan that nobody agreed with. None of the players. Mm. We were like, we were throwing a protest against his game plan. He wanted to hold the ball. And he wanted to run the shot clock down to like 20 seconds. And then he wanted to go. And, and we're like, nah, man, we've been playing fast all year. Let's do what we do. Right. And he called me in the office as one of the leaders. And he was like, and this is when Mike Tyson was beating everybody. He said, would you step in the ring with Mike Tyson and just start swinging? And I said, nah. Well, that's what we're going to do with Kansas. We ain't going to just swing. We're going to hold it. Well, the game plan ain't work. We lost by 30. <laughs> but but he, he had us believing by the time I walked out that office that that was the right game plan. So, And and I learned, man, he used to read everything. Mm-hmm. He would have a book that he would be reading. He would have a dictionary next to the book. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't know a word, he would go in the dictionary, look up the word, come back. He would highlight books. Man, everywhere we went, he was always reading. And it's funny because, again, you see, you can be what you see. Now, I read everything. I got books mm, everywhere. Mm. You know, you should see my house, man. We got a library in our bedroom. We got a library in our mm. study. We got libraries all over. My kids, my, my youngest son, he reads everything, you know. Mm. So it, it's just I grabbed that from him. Um, and he was very influential in that part. And, and like you said, he has kept me by his side. I worked for both sides for for 10 years mm. out of my 22 years of coaching. Wow. wow. And I did six with him at South Carolina State, three with him at that. Yeah, six with him at South Carolina State, 
three at um, Tennessee State and one at North Carolina A&T. And he got me back into business when I was out of this. My my first wife passed away mm. and I took a little time off from, from coaching. And he asked me if I want to come back in and he got me back in um, when I kind of was thinking about being done with it. Right, right. I was a single father at the time and sure. trying to have to figure out life. For sure. But he got me back in. And like you said, a lot of that's because of the trust that he has for me and the trust I have for him. For sure. Um, so you, you had a stint being the head coach and assistant coach. And what I try to try to mend um, all the time and get a full understanding is from the head coach hires assistant coach because they feel that they can support them. But they don't want you can't outside can't outside the master. That's just rule number one. So from as assistant coach, talking to the other assistant coaches out there first, tell the other assistant coaches what's their role or job pertaining to the head coach. Because, they, I mean, you can't be quiet and not give information. You can't be too forceful and, and, and override it. So what's a happy medium where assistant coaches can be uh, supportive to, to head coaches? You know, I think the, one of the biggest things is that assistant coaches make suggestions Head coaches make decisions. Mm. And I, I kind of live by that. Mm. I don't have a problem with making my suggestion, but I don't get my feelings hurt when they don't go with them. Mm. And I also think that in my experiences, sometimes having one-on-one conversations with the head coach is better than having conversations in a group. Mm. So I think it's something that may be a little dicey and he may not totally agree with. I'll wait till everybody leave and go back and talk to him one-on-one. Mm. Mm. And I also come back with coach. What do you think about this? Not we should do this, but what do you think about this? You know, because again, it's his decision to make when we win. They want to talk to him. When we lose, they want to talk to him as an assistant coach. You're the man behind the scenes. You know, you like the, 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 the puppet behind, behind the curtains. You, sure. you know, you try to make things work. And for us and for me, and I've gained the trust of coach Jones, my head coach now that I try to, make sure certain things don't get to his desk. Mm. There are small things that's going on with the players, small issues. If it's not something that's going to be detrimental to the team or to the program, I try to deal with it before he has to deal with it. I mean, he has a lot on his plate already. Right. He has a lot going on. So from an assistant coach's standpoint, I just want to be his biggest supporter. You know, you can't say nothing bad about him. You mm. can't talk negatively about him. You know, we may not always agree, but it's like being in a choir. When we walk out there, we're gonna all be singing from the same hymn book. Sure. We're gonna be making, we're gonna be making it sound good when we walk out. For and sure. I never, and I think an assistant coach should never disagree with their head coach to the players. Mm. Because that's where division comes in. So again, you may not always agree with it, but it's his program. And you have to what they call respect the chair. And so when I go out there, if he said you're supposed to be a rebounder, man, that's all you do is rebounding. Mm be the greatest rebounder you can possibly be. So the support that the head coach uh, deserves, because he gave you a job and he, and he hired you. For sure. It's vitally important. Um, and you can't undermine that. Now, sure. from a head coach's perspective, again, like I said, being a head coach for a short period of time, you know, you want people to support you. Mm. I think the worst mistake that you can make, and I made this mistake as a head coach, is you try to hire people that are you. You remember who you mm. were as an assistant. Mm. And the first thing you do is you looking for you. Mm. Well, when I was an assistant, I would do this. When I was an assistant, I would do that. No, what you have to do, coaching is leading. Mm. And you have to teach people what you want. And when I was a young head coach, I didn't understand that. 
you know, you have to direct them and, and give them what you expect them to be. And I think if you can do that, you can eventually develop a strong staff of getting what you need, but telling them what you need. And that's where the communication comes in at. The most important message to get across to student athletes suffering from mental health issues is that you're not alone. Many student athletes deal with depression, anxiety, eating disorders, and other mental health struggles. If this is the case, speak to someone like a counselor, a parent, a trusted adult, or your fellow teammate. Adults who are supporting a student athlete should be aware of the signs. A student athlete who is experiencing mental health difficulties might have constant fatigue, loss of appetite, mood swings, apathy, or even declining grades and or social isolation. A student athlete's mental health can be severely affected by an injury. An athlete's entire life becomes about their sport. And when they lose the ability to play, it can take a huge toll mentally. As we continue to reduce the stigma around mental health, hopefully more middle and high school level student athletes will feel confident discussing their health, whether it be mental or physical. The Triple Threat Podcast will be adding a psychology aspect in season two. We will be doing our part to help destigmatize mental health when it comes to student athletes. So subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so you never miss an episode. Now let's get back to the interview. And when you said that, I think back to my, my days dealing with Coach Crest, you know, he made he, he also he made the, the players fight for time, but he also he made it challenging challenging for the assistant coaches. Yarborough, Grace, those guys usually would go at it, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Just because they were trying to get in good grace and get the information and get their their mentality on the floor as well. And I guess it's tough sometimes for head coaches to try to, you know, train like like this filter that and really get the best information that's needed to the team. It's a, it's a tough job, tough situation to be in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, from disagreements in recruiting, sometimes assistant coaches don't agree on who we should bring in. Um, and sometimes you communicate like homeboys. So yeah, we yeah. might be like, like we in the park, communicate. <laughs> but if you have the respect for one another that when we are done with that, you're done with it. Is a prime example. Me and one of the assistant coaches was in the office yesterday going down about recruiting. And our head coach was in the hall and he was telling the, the women's coach, like, I don't know what's going on down there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but by the time he came in, we were there laughing and joking. Exactly. You know, but we we disagreed on a kid. I mean, sure. it is. And, you know, like you said, sometimes it's like being a parent. The head coach is the parent, the assistants are the kids. If you got multiple children, you know, Mm. everybody's vying for daddy's attention mm. Mm. you know i have a 20 year old and i have a six-year-old and a four-year-old and my son who's six would say one thing and my daughter's coming right behind and she kind of show him up <laughs> well watch this right and it's kind of like that with a, with a head coach and assistants you know but you have to have a staff 
I'm on a really good staff where we really vibe together. We really work well together. Um, but probably the best staff I was ever on was staff at Tennessee State. Mm. We, we had a, a combination of older guys, younger guys, and we would eat together. We would go hang out together. We would, we would spend family time together. And um, when you have that closeness as a staff, it allows you to have success as a team because we all know our role. Um, you know, here we do something a little different, like even with our scouting reports. Each person has a section on every scout. So it's not one person doesn't do a scout. We do them as a group. And we all have to collaborate on our section. But we always talk about, I don't worry about my about the defensive side of the scout because that's the other guy. I trust him. Mm. He knows that I'm going to do my side, which is the offensive scout. Mm. We know the other system is going to do the personnel. Mm. So we trust one another to, to know that each person is going to be prepared for their section. And now when it comes back to the head coach, he doesn't have that to worry about. Mm. Mm. You know, so it's a trust factor that we really have with each other. For sure. Um, <clears throat> you're talking about kids. That's segue into our um, next topic is you coming up, you said, you know, the hard play, you know, consistency, going in the parks all the time. And recruiting the kids right now, do you see that same toughness? Um, do you see that same toughness as far as from the kids' standpoint? And the second part of that question is, we're talking about workouts and individual development. Do you see the changes in that from where we came from and always working hard in into the, the current culture. What's what's the change that you see from where we started to to now being a recruiter and a coach? I mean, you've seen thousands of kids. What do you see that the changes from that? Well, you know, the first thing about the toughness, do I see it? Uh, and some guys I do. You know, some some guys just have a natural tough aura to them. We had we had thirteen guys. I'm gonna be honest. We had thirteen. It was probably about three of them I would take in the alley with me on any given day. Mm. But it was some guys that was able to manufacture toughness. And what I mean by that, from our workouts, they got tougher. From um, being around other guys, they got a little tougher. From the culture, they got tougher. But it probably were three guys that are naturally just, yo, he a tough dude. Um, but to, to talk about the, the changes in recruiting, it is different in player development. Um, guys don't have that natural work ethic. Mm. And I think some of that is because of, I hate to sound like an old fogey, but social media. For sure. And, you know, everybody want to be something. They have this front, like they have this or they have that. You got you got cats on financial aid wearing Gucci belts and $500 sneakers and, you know, fake diamond earrings. Everybody want the perception of, of what these NBA guys have, but they don't understand that you have to be your work ethic has to be almost manic, crazy, in order for you to get there. You know, I shouldn't have to tell you to come to the gym. Right. Some extra work in. That should be in you. Right. If you say you really love basketball and you really, really want to get to a certain level. So it's hard in the recruiting process, especially with this transfer portal. I was looking at this mm. morning. It's, mm. it's 1,429 guys in the transfer portal. And I'm looking at it. So now you're not really developing relationships with these kids. Right, right. You know, you know them for two, three weeks and trying to sign them to a scholarship. Mm. You try to do your research. You try to call their coaches. You try to call their their, their high school coaches and, and get some background and some intel on them. 
But the reality is not enough time to really, really know. And then if you get them out of high school and they develop in two years, they want to leave Norfolk State and want to go to Clemson mm. or go to South Carolina mm. or, you know, Virginia. They feel like they're they, they higher than you now, but you've taken the time to develop them and mm. get them better because those schools didn't give a dag on the bottom two years ago. So there's no real loyalty in this business anymore either. Um, so, you know, for us, man, in the past, we've had a, a mixture of transfers, high school, junior college. We have two scholarships to give this year. We And we basically just look, look, looking at all transfers, mm-hmm. um, two transfers. And, and it's kind of crazy because we have 11 about, no, now 10 of our 13 guys coming back. Crazy. So cool. we have a, a, a strong nucleus and probably four, four of our star and five. Right. But we're still looking at that guy who can come in and give us some numbers right away and help us get back to the tournament for the third year in a row. And let me ask you a question, JB. So, you know, before the transfer portal, I think all the power and all the, you know, all the, I said, yeah, all the power was really in the, in the colleges and the coaches' position. With the transfer portal, transfer portal, it allows the player to be more in control per se. So mm-hmm. there are gives and takes to that. Like you said, you don't get a chance to know a kid. You can work on it for two years and they, and they leave. And I'm going to play devil's advocate with this question. Where, when you were in college, would you have benefited from the transfer portal? Probably. Probably. <laughs> 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 No doubt. It's funny, man. We were just talking about this yesterday. My boss, right, right. who played, who was a D3 All-American, was like, man, if it was the transfer portal was in when I was in college, I would have finished somewhere else. For sure. For sure. That's probably true. For sure. But you know, I look at how life plays itself out. By me taking a route I took, I'm allowed to be a college basketball coach now. Mm, mm. If I would have went to, if I would have left mm. South Carolina State and went to South Carolina, mm. would, you know, Eddie Fogler, who was a coach at that time, giving me the same opportunity. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe not, mm-hmm. but you never know. So, you know, I just believe that our destiny is our destiny. And it was, mm-hmm. it was, it was predetermined in a lot of ways. But to answer your question, yeah, but, I, you know, I was talking to an NBA scout last week. And he said where the transfer portal was hurting guys is that when they look at him, because he was meeting with some of our guys at the, at the Portsmouth Invitational, and he was saying that um, – it just shows an inconsistency mm. that you can't stay at one place, mm. especially when guys are transferring multiple times. And they're saying like, well, if he's running from every situation there, mm. dude, when we paying him mm. X amount of dollars, is he going to run when things get bad? Or is he not going to show up when things get bad? So it's like you said, it's a give and take to it, but it has benefited some guys. But you, if you look at it last year, it was a meme that came out that said, like I think it may have been like 49 guys transferred from, from um, mid-major to high majors. And like 25 of those 49 were all conference. Once they transferred, only one became all conference. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to average? I, I'll give you an example. I had a kid a couple of years ago. He plays for me, does well, all conference player, transfers to ACC school, goes from averaging 16, 17 to averaging four, was was projected to go overseas, never went overseas. Mm. Now he's a college coach. Mm. You know, 
but he wanted to play professionally. Right, right. But his numbers right. dipped so so far. They were like, nah, man, you ain't dancing. So mm-hmm. you could have stayed where you were and, and did what you did. Players need to adhere to that. Yes, the catch-22 might be living it up in those two years, being at a different school that's, you know, got higher budget, better budget. Yeah. But are you going to be able to perform at that <laughs> level? Because there's more talented players than the level yeah. you go up. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, I, I know you know the, the Braddock boys. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, when we when I recruited Dustin Braddock at uh, South Carolina State when he transferred from Clemson, and that same year we got his brother, Dakin. Mm. Well, and the year he was sitting out, we got Dakin. And I remember talking to his dad, to Mr. Braddock, and Mr. Braddock said, I'm going to let my son come here because Dakin was a top 100 kid, 35th best big man in the country. I didn't know that. Yeah, man. Dakin, Dakin was cold, man. And he said, I'm going to let Dakin come here because I saw what happened to Dustin. Mm. And every year they were bringing in somebody different mm. to come in here and challenge him for his position. So we were blessed to receive Dakin. You know, Dakin didn't work out for, for other reasons. Mm, for sure. But from a talent standpoint, mm. Dakin had the chance to, to, to be rich right now. Mm. Mm. You know? But that's why he was able to come to South Carolina State because of how Dustin was treated at Clemson. And that, that's a, another segue into my next topic, Coach. We're talking about, again, we growing up, man, on the parks. It's always tough, tough, tough. Coach, hey, do that. Don't worry about it. Work it out. And we find in the way internally for our intrinsic, you know, motivations to make those things happen. What do you think? What do you think about mental health in athletes? Is because it's a it's a hot topic now with athletes coming out saying that you know they they got issues dealing with it. Um, do you think? I just want to hear your take on mental athletes and, and mental yeah. um, stability in, in athletes. What's your take on that? Well, you know, here at Norfolk State. Our guys, we have a, a mental health counselor that's full-time that's able mm. to see our guys whenever they need to be seen. Mm. Um, she she meets with them. We don't have anything to do with it. I, I'll give you an example. We had a young man last year that was having issues, like, just as a player. And nowadays, he got kicked off the team just because disrespectful, not listening. We suspended him. And one of the, the caveats to him being suspended, suspended and coming back was he had to go to 10 sessions with the mental health coach to try to make sure to get him back on track from a mental side in order to be productive as an as a individual and a basketball player. Um, we encourage our guys to see him. You know, for me, I use the, the, the analogy hugs, H-U-G-S. Mm. I want to coach your heart because if I can't coach your heart and know what makes you tick, I can't understand you. I want to know who you are as a human being, as a man. Mm. I want to understand you. That's what the you is. I want to understand your mind. I want to understand where you came from. I want to understand who you are. I want to teach you gratitude, you know, Mm. because I think most athletes have an entitled approach to life and a title to college because they've been treated well and treated as such their whole lives. Right. So I want to teach you gratitude. And then I want to teach you service. Because what is life if you can't serve others? If everything is about you, then then there's nothing about you. Mm. You have to learn how to serve others. And even in the team, I got to be able to serve my teammates before I can serve myself. It's just like, you know, with my wife, she will always serve me dinner before she serves herself. Mm. She just takes care of me like that. Sure. And that's how I want my players to be able to take care of each other and take care of themselves 
and the people around them the same way. So from a mental health part, focusing on who they are, their heart, and understanding them, the H and that U, I think is very, very important. Um, you know, in the NBA, they they give every player in the NBA the Calm app, the meditation app, where mm -hmm. they can, each one is free in the NBA, where they can meditate, calm, have different things. And guys don't really understand if I can get my mind right, then my game is going to flow. We didn't have that luxury, like you said. Yeah. It was like, run through this Figure it out on ourselves. Yeah. yeah, whatever you're going through, you know, I was blessed. My dad got sick my senior year in college, and I left school for two weeks to go to Philadelphia to be with him. And I was blessed that because Cy had lost his father in college, mm -hmm. he understood. Mm -hmm. So he didn't give me no heartache. He didn't give me no hardship. He was like, yo, man, come back when you need to come back. Mm. That in a lot of situations wouldn't, wouldn't happen. Mm. That in a lot of situations, like, man, you better get your behind back here and right. get this ball in the basket. <laughs> so I appreciate now the fact that young people have an outlet and we're sensitive to the outlet. And as men, we have to allow them that space, man. You know, my, 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 my oldest son, again, my, for my first wife, he lost his mother at 11 years old. Mm. Can you imagine the mental mm. health issues that he had to endure? Mm. You know, so we did counseling. We did, you know, I just was like, hey, man, I can't get it. Mm. I'm not a professional in this. Mm. Let me help you. And some days he didn't want to talk to people. Right. But sometimes you just got to sit in the room and listen. Sure. And you just got to just got to be still. And now he's totally good you know i'm sure he still has his moments right but he, right. he's good now you know but it, it took someone else coming in and helping so i think that if, if hopefully more colleges have the um the outlet that we have and they have that mental health personal staff that can give them the guidance that they need um but my, my not no buts my question my other question is what do you think are the triggers um because besides something happening like death in the family or injury or disease, some situations like that, a perfectly healthy kid with no environmental problems still can have those issues from social media. Do you think social media plays a big role? You talk about perception. You know, when if we got to put fake earrings, and some guys got the earrings on with the eraser <laughs> back there, bro. Like, that's not a real diamond. You got an eraser back there holding it. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sure. saw a guy at the um, at Harris Teeter. He's bagging groceries. He's got two diamonds in his ears. I'm like, bro, people walk through here and know these are not real diamonds. You, you right here yeah, bagging groceries. Yeah, and then not only that, how you expect your manager or somebody to give you another job and they think you already got it? Yeah. So yeah. What, what do you? how do you think social media is influencing to some people with this uh, mental health issues? Yeah, man. Um, you know, I think social media is big. You know, I'm not a big advocate of social media. I don't do a whole lot. I kind of probably view more than I do anything, any posting or anything. Right. Um, but these guys are living, they're living an the entertainment life on social media. I, I watched our guys, we had, we had one guy, we have one guy uh, that came here, man. He was on the choir. He was a church boy, man. Now he got the braids, pants hanging. I'm looking at his pictures like, come on, man, this ain't you. This ain't, you know, trying to be the tough guy on the court. And I think that some of the triggers, maybe not playing, not getting the playing time that they came in expecting. Because mostly, most of these guys, and you can attest to this from your own college experience, were, were the stars on their high school team. Right, right. They came in like, I'm going to come in and be the star on my college team. Mm -hmm. And now you got to set into a new role. You got to earn it all over again. 
So when they can't earn it right away, now they're looking at their friends and their friends are looking at them like, why he ain't playing? Why he ain't? Well, you know, what's, why you ain't playing? What's you doing? You know, again, most of the time when you play a game, you call home, first question is always asked, how many points did you score? <laughs> they, don't, they don't say, did you win? Right. The first question is, how many points did you score? So, so you know, um, that's that really hurts, man. Family hurts, and the expectations of family hurts. But the social media, the Instagram, the Twitter, you know, guys have an initial and immediate access mm. to other people's lives mm. and seeing how they live. And the first thing they say is, I want to live like that too, mm. you know, and they don't understand the work that comes behind that. You know, I remember, man, you know, remember inside stuff used to come on. Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching Stefan Marbury one time working out and this is before you had access to all the people working out behind the scene. And he was, he was sweating. He said, this is the work that nobody sees. Mm. All they see are the cars and the diamonds and the jewelry. This is the real work. And I think now kids are start only seeing the cars and diamonds and jewelry and not understanding that there's work. And the other side of this, everybody think they're pro. Exactly. But they're not a pro. Exactly. And it may not be in the cars for them to be a pro. And that's okay. It may be in, a car, in your cars to be a, a businessman. Right. And, and, and to run a corporation. It, 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 you know, we just had, I, the NBA has a program with HBCUs that, was allowing internships this year. Mm-hmm. I go to three or four guys on my team and I'm like, okay, who I think mm-hmm. have the makeup mm-hmm. to do it. And I give them an application, say, yo, man, apply for this, apply for this. Nobody applied. Mm-hmm. You know who applied, man? The daggone manager for the mm-hmm. team applied. And guess what? He got an internship with the Boston Celtics or something. That's the manager. So now he's on a, on a track to meet and to interact with some people that you don't want to take the time to fill out the application and do that would have put you in a different perspective of life than you are right now. But again, everybody think they're going to be a pro, man. Right. And, and if, if I did a poll on my team, I, I did this a couple of years ago. I had a kid come sit in my office. I said, you want to be a pro? He said, yeah, yeah. I said, how much money do you think it's going to take for you to be, to be comfortable? He said, about 100000 I said, yo, man, you're averaging three points a game. <laughs> you're averaging three a game. Nobody's paying you 100000 Right. You might not get a job. Right. But in his mind, he thinks that making a, a six figures overseas were automatic. And that ain't close to me in automatic. And, and, there ain't no, and there ain't no money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. JB. Yeah. Um, you know, we talked about again. You you, you say your 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 role to obtain the scholarship was kind of different. Um, mm-hmm. What's your what's your take to the guys that's listening here might be in your situation as senior high school that you yeah. know don't have the numbers, don't have the recruiting, but have that interest. What what's your what's your uh, your uh, your word to them of you know keeping their interest and keeping them going? Yeah, getting to the next level. You know well. I think the biggest thing is having a relationship with your high school coach where that he can pick up the phone call because mm-hmm. most high school coaches have relationships with some college coaches. For sure. And he can say, hey, I got John Doe, who I think can make you a team. Would you give him a shot? And if they're going to honestly give you a shot, you got to be ready when, that's, when your number's called. 
And every coach, every school is not going to give you a shot. Right. You can't tell your coach, I want to go to North Carolina and think that they're going to have a spot for you. Right. You know, you got to find a school that may be a little smaller where you have to earn your way and you go in there and you work exceptionally hard, but you also got to be good enough. Right. And you got to be able to, to be a realist to yourself if you're not good enough and say, okay, maybe I'm not, but if I am, I'm going to go ahead and get it. You know, I, I always tell God, genetics matter. For sure. you know, size matters. Size, speed, strength, those things matter. You know, so if you're a little taller, it may give you a little route. But mm-hmm. if you're hungry, like if you're really, really hungry, you just can't sit, you can't take no for an answer. Mm-hmm. And, and you got to really figure out a way. So one way may be I go and things don't work out. I say, coach, I'll be a manager. Mm-hmm. Maybe for a year, you might have to be a manager. You may have to humble yourself and wash sure. and wash jerseys and wash shorts for a year to mm. be around and see. And then next year, try again. Mm. And, and, and now you've established a relationship with the assistant coaches. You've gotten close to those assistant coaches. If you spend the time and you're really working hard, that they take you seriously and say, hey, man, I want to try one more time. Mm. And you'll give me a real look. So you have to, like I, I always tell people, you got to be smarter than the man in front of you. Mm. So you got to really think it through and figure out a way to get get around get around that no. He made a name for himself as a star for the College of Charleston basketball teams in the mid to late 90s. And now Jermel President is doing what he can to make sure that the Charleston area kids have a chance to succeed on the court and in life. So I want to, you know, give some of that back to the community as well. Um, after college and after playing professionally, uh, I started the Day Foundation just to to be that wealth of knowledge to the kids in the community and parents as well. College of Charleston Hall of Famer Jamel President said he saw a need for this while he was in school. So he founded the nonprofit Day Foundation. And its philosophy for success is based on what he calls his oatmeal recipe. Let's go and finish together. Basically teaches the game of basketball. Focusing on skills, development, nutrition, and education. Not only SAT, ACT type stuff, but education for parents in how to navigate through the different levels of athletics. Uh, in, in closing, JB, we got something called the oatmeal recipe, which okay. is these, these three ingredients and go, you know, with sports, careers, what have you. Um, so I want to get your take on each one of these and how do you apply it to your everyday life? Okay. Um, let's talk with uh, talk about skill development because skill development, yeah, on the court can be you know shooting, dribbling. Skill development and career work can be listening skills, right? What are what is what are just a, a skill development that you like, and how do you apply it to your, to your everyday life? Yeah, well, one of the the, the biggest skill developments is learning, um, and that it goes back to what I told you about the reading, right? About reading everything and trying to learn. Every day, I try to learn something new on a consistent basis. Um, rather that's a new play, rather that's a new philosophy, a new saying, um, I try to learn something new. And I think that comes back, that learning skill development falls into listening. Mm. You know, I listen to people. And um, so someone come over and I try to hear what you're saying to me. And I really try to listen in closely to try to develop myself and understand, you know, I don't have all the answers. Um, you know, you can be 19, 20 years old and know more about certain things than I do. Mm. So that's a, a big, big part of the skill developed for myself on a consistent basis. 
All right. And the second one is, is, is education. It's kind of a little redundant, but it's just as important as skill development, because without the education, you don't have the skill. Without the skill, you don't have the education. How do you uh, use education? Because um, you say as a freshman, are you thinking about all kind of other stuff, sports? Yeah. I mean, not sports, just reading and education. Um, how is that important to you? How do you apply it? Yeah, man, you know, education is, is, is vitally important. Um, you know, I think not just education, but a good education. And you can develop your own good education. I always say, man, you know, Malcolm X got a great education in jail. Mm. You know, mm. he, he educated himself in jail. Mm. If, if you know about Malcolm X. Yes. So it's not where you are, it's what you take when you're there mm. and what you do while you're there. Um, so you can educate yourself by, again, opening books, reading, man. Reading is so vitally important. There, There's a saying in, 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 in the African-American community that if they don't want you to know something, they'll put it in a book. Well, that comes from slavery. Mm. When you're in slavery, the slave masters hid money in mm. the, in, and they hid notes and maps in the Bibles because they knew that the slaves couldn't read them. So I always take that and say, hey, I'm not going to let nobody word with me and and, and, and out read me. Um, and, you know, things are so easy now. You go on YouTube, right. you know, audio books. You can do a whole lot of different things to educate yourself. But a quality education can take you where a lot of things can't. Um, you know, I, I'm proud of my wife, man. She went to Harvard. And when, when you say that, people are like, whoa. Like I whoa. just did. Right. Yeah. And she'll tell you in a minute, I'm not that smart. I just work hard. Mm. I just work hard. You know, she she said, you know, I, I just really believe in my work ethic. And I always ask her, can you do this? And she said, no, but give me 10 minutes and I'll figure out how to. Mm. You know, it, it's just the, the importance of really putting time into what you want to do from an educational standpoint. And just talking about, like, again, piggybacking off this a little bit, taking your education and wanting to get to your future. The most successful, a lot of successful people, I'm not going to say the most, know what they want to do at an early age. You're right. And they set the tone and they keep going. They don't wait till their junior, senior years in college and they're like, whew, now I think I want to do this. So, you know, I, I know people who went to school and said, man, you know, I want to be a doctor. And they were saying that in high school. Right. And they went on that path to be a doctor and nothing got in their way and nothing stopped them. So they took their education and they kept on progressing year in and year out until they became a doctor. So, you know, because life is, is there's structure to it. You know, most lives are A, B, C, D. Most people can't go A, B, D, F, Q, R, S. You know, it's, there's a level of structure to how I want to get to where I want to go. And I think too often, from an educational standpoint, our people come to college and they don't come with the idea of getting a degree. Mm. They don't have the idea of playing sports. Right. Gotta have a desire to get a degree because I can be on you all I want. I can talk to you all day long till I'm blue in the face. If you don't have the desire to get a degree, you're only gonna be a minimum, minimum guy. Totally, totally agree. Last one is nutrition. You know, and I, what I hate, what I hate most, man, is to go to these tournaments, AAU tournaments or whatever travel, whatever you want to call it. And guys are eating Skittles and McDonald's and drinking sodas, right? What? And I think from an organizational standpoint, 
who run these organizations and coaches need to be educating these kids on the right way of nutrition, of, of nutrition, how to put things in their body that can make their body perform for them. What's your take on that? Yeah, man, you know, you it's almost like different grades of gas in mm. a car. Mm. You're driving a, a, a very expensive gas. You can't put regular. No, 87. Okay, car. You can't put regular 87 in your car. Right. You can't put 89. 89. You got to put 93 in there. 93. And, and, and in order for it to run at an efficient level, and, and it's like an athlete, if you want to be the best, you can't be snacking and eating on BS. You got to be disciplined in how you eat and what you eat, man. We talked to our guys about the same exact thing. And they, and they college students, you know. Uh, we just had, what do we call a BAM testing? which was uh, um, basic advanced movement. I think mm. it's what it's called. And it's like, they do all the, the, the vertical leaps and the shuttle runs for the NBA guys. And they just came down and did our team this past week. And we had one guy who's going to his fourth year college who tested on a, an elite high school level. Well, yeah, that's the same way I look when I saw his results. And he played a lot for us last year. But some of that's because he never takes the weight room and his nutrition mm, series. Mm. He doesn't eat right. His body hasn't changed in three years. He doesn't commit to, to his body. You know, the best time of my career was, like I said, when Coach Carr, you got a hold of me. Yeah. But I also developed a routine that summer. Weights, push-ups, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. You know, and, and, and it allowed me to maintain the energy mm. is it, funny, man. I, I went to the doctor about six, about five months ago. I was like, I told her, I said, man, I'm tired. Can't get my energy right. I said, you know, I'm tired in the morning. I'm tired at night. Okay, <laughs> how much I sleep? I'm just tired. Right. So she says, she said, got my blood ran. Came back, said, you you, you low in vitamin D deficiency. Mm. I said, okay. So she gave me some, some vitamin D pills. That ain't work. <laughs> so my birthday is February 23rd February 1st I said I'm going to cut out all sugar all carbs out of my life mm. within the first two weeks I was totally different mm. energy level was high I was moving I went back to the doctor and said man you sold me some crap it wasn't a vitamin D it was the sugar that I was putting mm. in my body mm. that was slowing me down and people don't know that you get that fast high but you get a fast crash as well. Sure, sure. So I stopped drinking sodas. I stopped eating fast food. My weight went down. I lost like seven pounds in like, like 10 days. Wow. You know, but it was just the change of diet. You know, people don't value, especially young people, and I didn't either, fruits and vegetables. Exactly. You know, fruit, vegetables, and water. Exactly. Those things help you to be great. And and like I try to implement that with, with my kids, you know, like, hey man. And when I pack their lunch, I always pack them a fruit, and, you know, a vegetable, right. and never send them to school with juice or we always send them with water. Right. You know, because you have to learn early to develop your taste buds and develop your habits. But your nutrition will can take you from one level to another. Um, my oldest, he's going to play at North State next year. And our goal this summer is to put 10 pounds on him of muscle and get him prepared for the Division One level because he's been playing junior college for the last two years. Nice. So you get prepared for the for the Division One level. You got to be in really coming here ready to work because it's going to be a different level. And I always tell them, if you want to play, you just got to work harder and be more prepared than the guy that's in front of you. 
I'm gonna give you the answers to the test. You just can't mess it up when you get there. Exactly. So your nutrition is 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 vitally, vitally important. And and setting goals on what you want your nutrition to be. Do I want to gain 10? Do I want to lose 10? How do I gain 10? Like I said, information is so accessible now. Because all you gotta do is Google it. Right. You can Google how to gain weight, how to, how to get an app with your diet. So it's really no excuse not to be great and to reach your goals. Right. Well, but before we close, I got a personal question to ask you. <clears throat> I got a son right now I'm trying to get him going. You say your son isn't playing the next level, starting to. That's a great feeling, right? It's, it's, it's always good to watch your son, you know, do the things that you want, not living through them, but adhering to some of the things and following through. What's your talking to some of the, the dads that have sons out there? Give us a some rules or some things to look towards to do to help mend that relationship to make it stronger because it's tough. Tough. Yeah. It's, it, it's tough because they want to do their own thing. You know what I'm saying? We we, we got our own thing going on, but we want to we don't want to overpour. We want to still keep it a happy medium. What were some 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 key things that you did that allowed this thing to happen in closing? You know, for for me, um, with my son, we've had our ups and our downs. You right. know, uh, like you said, when they get to a certain age, they want to do it their way. But one of the things I was always able to do because I've been a coach his whole life is I kept him in the gym, and but I never pushed him in the gym. Mm. Like I never said you had to do it. I would always tell him, if you don't want to play, you don't got to play. It ain't on me. It's on you. So it would get to a point where he would say, dad, can we work out? And I never turned him down. Mm. Like, Yo, just give me five minutes. Let me get this done. We'll be in the gym. We can go work out. So whenever he asked, I was there for him to give. Um, but I've also given him his freedom and his opportunities to make his mistakes. Mm. And he's made a lot of them. Mm. And my wife sometimes tell me I shouldn't allow him to make these mistakes. I'll give you an example. He was at a junior college as a freshman, averaged like 14 points a game as a freshman. It was going to probably be do pretty well. Decided he wanted to transfer to another junior college. I didn't agree with it, but I said, this is what you want to do. Go ahead and do it. You need to learn how to stay and deal with things. He went to the next junior college and barely played. And, and he wanted to quit during the season. I said, you can't quit. Right. You right. Tough it out. You made this choice. You got to live with it. Right. So right. I've allowed him to make his own mistakes. Um, but I, I've also tried to be there to support him and to love him. But I think if you can also give him a work ethic mm-hmm. and set a routine for him and say, hey, man, on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, we're going to get in the gym for 30 minutes. And you stick to that routine because it's hard for us to stick to it, too. Because like you said, we got things going on, too. Yeah. I got a job. Yeah. I got two other kids. I got a lot yeah. going on. But um, how old is your son? He's 11. Oh, yeah. So he's at he's right at that age. where. Right. Preteen and you know, so you know, but you got to give them the vision. I used to take them to games a lot, mm-hmm. let them see it. I had some access, I can get them behind the scenes mm-hmm. so he can see some things that that um, you got to give him a vision of where he wanted to go. You know, now where I think I may have gone wrong, now I'm not gonna say go wrong, but basketball became his all in all, mm-hmm. and that's all he wanted at one point. Mm. So he wasn't concentrating like I wanted him to concentrate in the classroom Mm. because it was always basketball, basketball, basketball. And I kept saying, hey, son, there's more to life than just basketball. But I I appreciate his singular focus Mm. at one point and his desire to get better because he's really gotten better 
over the years. And I, I'm really looking forward to coaching them for the next, he actually had three years of eligibility. That's awesome. So I'm actually looking forward to coaching them and continue to develop our relationship being around each other um, for the next, you know, three years consistently as a man. Cause you know, I get him until he's 21 years old, 22 years old and kind of see where he, where he goes. That's but awesome. it's hard. It's hard being a father, man. It's hard being a parent. That's you know, awesome. it, it, it's, it's really, um, I, you know, I have two coaches with me who have, who have sons and they do a great job too. One of one of the sons is uh, eight years old. Mm-hmm. And one of them, I think the other, the head coach, his son is uh, 14. I think he about to be 14. So I, I can watch them as well. And they mm-hmm. always come to me because they be like, hey man, you know, you live this already. You know, they doing the AU and they doing all these different things. But I just try to have fun with it. You know, I think one of the best movies I've seen is King Richard. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've seen that or not. I haven't yet. It's a great movie, man. But, you know, he always talks about to his kids, to Serena and Venus was, oh, have fun. Mm. Have fun with this, you know. And I think kids should still have fun. And um, But they also got to develop a competitive nature. For and sure. I like you don't like losing. For sure. I don't care how old you are. You can throw a tantrum if you want. We just got to deal with it the right way. Because I don't exactly. want you to ever get comfortable with losing. Exactly. Yeah. So JB, man, I appreciate you, bro. And, and I'm going to let you know, man, just – from a, a city standpoint, you're not here all the time, but you know we're, we're proud of you. You know we 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 uh we we know about you, and then through this podcast and, and pushing out our platform, you know I make sure to to let people know you know where you're from and and the podcast let them know your your whole journey because you know coming from this area, we don't get a lot a whole lot of successes that people know about. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So um yeah, yeah man, we appreciate you for doing what you do and, and, and representing the area. Like how you do. I appreciate, it, man. There's some players there that I don't know about. Don't be, don't hesitate to hit me up, man. I get them from sure. wherever, man. For sure, for sure. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> All right. Thank you, though, man. You're doing, Thank you're doing you, man. City, man. I appreciate you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right, All right, All right bro. Yes, sir. If I need anything, I, I I got you. Same here, too, big guy. All right, man. Thank you, man. All right, mm-hmm. peace. So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. We want to thank Coach Brown for coming out and, and giving us his wealth of knowledge on how student athletes um, need to adhere to things to get them to the next level. Um, if you heard the interview, he talked about him not having no direction and uh, just him being in place and being in a position, building those great relationships. Coaches made calls for him. And um, he took advantage of all the things, all the situations that um, that was in front of him. So appreciate Jamal for um, doing great work on a collegiate level nationally and representing the Charleston area. Don't forget to subscribe to the Triple Threat Podcast on your favorite listening platform. We are live on Apple, Google, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. That's Triple Threat spelled three R I P L E three H R E A T Triple Threat Podcast. We'll be right back. What Jermel is doing with today Foundation and the approach he's taking to help develop young athletes. First of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which, as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to 
trained properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermel is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program. Because these are the kind of things that every community needs, looking out for the best interest of the youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And and I can't express adequately enough my admiration and respect for what Jermel is doing. And hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.